Okay, so, Paul, please join me, and um, I'm going to pray for you, buddy. So, Father, I thank you for my friend. I thank you for who he is. I thank you that more than being uh, our friend, he's your friend. And I pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying through him to our hearts uh, this morning uh, for your glory. Amen. 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 Bless you, buddy. Thanks, Bill. Am I okay with this mic? Are we uh, happy? It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) I've done quite a bit of this kind of stuff over the years. And (laughs) most of the time, well, pretty much all the time, actually, as I'm praying and thinking about what I'm going to say, the thought goes through my head, will today be the day when they realise you don't know anything? (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) And I was thinking about that earlier. Is today going to be the day when I'm found out, actually, that I don't know anything? And yesterday morning, we were talking about Lloyd, David Lloyd George. Um, and uh, no, we weren't talking about David Lloyd George at all. We were talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> My son's been doing homework on David Lloyd George. We were talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones, the minister of Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. And one of the things that he says in his book, Spiritual Depression is that what Christians need to do is to stop listening to themselves and start talking to themselves. Stop listening to the lies that go on in here sometimes, i.e. you've got nothing to say. And start reminding ourselves of what the Bible says about us, which is that we're beloved children of God. That's who I am. That's my identity as I stand here this morning. That's your identity. That's the posture of each of us before God that he loves us to bits, that he is passionate about our lives and that he wants to communicate uh, his word and his truth to us this morning. And I actually already feel, I feel God's been speaking since I came in through the door this morning. He's, he's, he's not waiting for a sermon to, to speak to you. Even actually, as James was setting up his lights out there, in my mind I was having all these thoughts about this is just a perfect sort of analogy of what God's trying to do in the world. He's trying to bring light into situations. He's trying to help us to see that however dark things might appear, that a bit of light makes a huge amount of difference. (laughs) And as we go into our week, you know, wherever you find yourself, try and remember that a little bit of light makes a huge amount of difference. We were speaking yesterday on the mentoring day about the value of encouragement. And just affirming one another, genuinely, regularly, firmly. What a, can you imagine what a difference that makes in a person's life when they're so used to being put down, slapped down, criticised, judged, to actually receive some positive encouragement. It's like a shot in the arm, spiritually. You know, this, the world is crying out to hear God's encouragement into people's hearts. And um, the passage which I want to uh, share a little about this morning, it'll be so familiar to you. In fact, you know, if you were to do a little survey on the the streets of Llanethly and ask them to try and think of a parable from the Bible, most people would probably, within the top three, would be the Good Samaritan. And that's the passage I want us to think about this morning. But I want us to look at it from a slightly different angle. But will you you just let this flow over you? 
I can remember when I was doing English at school, when I did A-level English, and we went to uh, watch a Twelfth Night, it was, in the grounds of Ludlow Castle. And uh, I was 18, so it was eons ago. I think we probably went in a horse and cart or something. Um, but, but as we got there, I remember, <laughs> I remember the teacher saying to me, Paul, don't try too hard. Let it flow over you. The language is a bit difficult. Let, let the story flow over you. And... Um, The language isn't particularly difficult here in the Good Samaritan, but I do encourage you to let the story flow over you and let's see what God wants to bring out to us this morning. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came uh, where the man was, when he saw him, sorry, I've missed a bit out. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, You've probably sat through loads of sermons on the Good Samaritan. I think I've probably preached loads of sermons on the Good Samaritan. It's, it's my favourite parable. But as ever, this is the beauty, I think, of Scripture and the incredible richness of the Word of God, that he always wants to take us to another level. Do you know what I mean by that? You, often when you think you've got it, and you could probably preach off the top of your head on, on that parable, And over the years, I think I've probably based my sermons, as most people will have based their sermons, uh, around the question that Jesus asked, which of these do you think was the neighbour to the man? Well, it certainly wasn't the robbers, was it? They weren't weren't neighbours to him because their attitude was very much this. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Just think about that attitude for a moment. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. We come across that attitude a lot, actually, in our society. If you've got something that I want, I'm going to do what I can to get it. 
it's reflective of what we might call almost like a, a climbing by crushing sort of attitude. It happens in the workplace, happens in the corporate world. Um, it's, it's what drives sort of so much of competitive society. I've got to do better than you've done. That would be another way of putting it. I've got to be the best. I've got to overachieve. I've got to uh, be successful. So that was the attitude of the robbers. Now, the attitude of the religious people, whom you would have thought would have helped, the priest and the Levite, their attitude, actually, as we look at that story, was very much, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Do you see? What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. I've actually got too much on my plate to get involved in your life. I'm on my way somewhere. You know, I've got a job to do. I'm busy, actually. I'm too busy to roll my sleeves up and get stuck in with what you need at the moment. I've got too much to do. Then, of course, the attitude which we applaud and which we um, are encouraged to embrace as God's people is the attitude of the Samaritan. The unlikely choice of someone who would come to the aid of this man who had been beaten up. And the attitude of the Samaritan is very much, what's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it with you. If I've got something that will in any way help you, whatever it might be, whether it be my time, whether it be my finances, whether it be my gifts or my skills, if I can help you, I'll make it available to you. So there are the three main kind of attitudes that I think we see in that parable. And I have to say that pretty much that would have been the essence of my sermon. <laughs> if, if I'd have preached on this like five years ago even, that would have been the essence. And I would have been pushing you and encouraging you to think about having the same attitude as the Good Samaritan. And I kind of still would actually, because I still applaud the attitude that whatever we have as a church in the community and the society where God's placed us, if there's something we can do in any way to help one another, well, we're up for it, aren't we? And actually, this is one of the things that blesses my heart about this place here. It's in my second visit, but I know Bill and Ellen quite well. And um, what I hear about the stories of how this church functions, I just think... God's heart must burst with love for you all. I'm not joking. I just think that the Father looks upon the efforts of, of Myrtle House through your multifarious, faceted ministries that kind of pre- pretty much seems endless. And the kind of pastors you've got here, that's the shape of things to come, isn't it? There's always going to be something new, isn't there? And it's wonderful. I mean, I hope you realise how blessed you are. I'm sure you do, because I can taste the love in this place. I could kind of slice it into chunks. It's so thick. Do do, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of it about. There's a lot of it about. I go to quite a few churches, and I can kind of taste it. And I love it. And I kind of want to throw wood on the fire, really. It's wonderful. But I feel the way God has led me as I've dug deeper into this parable particularly over the last, I might even say over the last six months or so, is it's this. What if you're the one who's beaten up? Mm. 
what if, <laughs> what if you're the one who feels robbed? What about on the journey of your life, there have been circumstances, there have been relationships, there have been financial problems, relational problems, sexuality problems. You name it, the list's endless. It probably isn't a different list to what we'd have in Worcester, actually, in Llanethly, that wherever you go, it's where people are, the same kind of issues. But my point is, here's this man on this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a descent of about 1,500 feet. It's a dusty, hot, sticky road. And we know from what the commentaries tell us that it was an ideal place to ambush somebody. Lots of caves, lots of hiding places, you know. And uh, apparently priests used to do that journey quite often because they'd be serving in the Temple of Jerusalem and they had kind of like their holiday homes or timeshares down the road. And um, <laughs> that's, that's mine. That doesn't say that in the Bible. That's me. I thought that would be deep. But they basically have these, their homes away from Jerusalem. So it was quite a busy route. But if you had it in your heart as the robbers obviously did, to ambush somebody. It was a great place because there were loads of places to hide and jump out on people. So this man is doing this journey down this road. Now, I mentioned this briefly yesterday at the training, but basically we are all on a journey. There isn't one of us in this room that is not on a journey at some stage. Some of you might feel... You've, you're a bit held up on the journey <laughs> for whatever reason. Some of you might feel you're on a bit of a detour on your journey. Some of you are asking yourselves, have I got enough fuel to complete the journey? <laughs> have, have I got what it takes to actually get through this next week or this next month? Has my bank balance got in it what I need to actually survive and pay my mortgage at the end of the month? But All of these are aspects of being on the journey. Now, this poor guy, on his travels, he was set upon, beaten up physically, left half dead. He'd had the life beaten out of him and he was stripped and what he'd got was taken away from him. Now, I found myself saying this to a bunch of Elim pastors in Birmingham about a month ago. You know what they're like, Elim pastors. <laughs> they sat there, they're very polished. <laughs> Slick. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> you know, they, they turn up in their nicely polished cars and they go into this meeting and kind of... And I found myself saying to them, I'm a bit cheeky at the best of times, and I felt myself saying, you all look so cool this morning. You all look, you've made an effort. You know, you, your gear, your everything, you're all sort of together and you've had your hair cut specially and all this malarkey. And you've come and here you are for this training day. And, uh, but do you know what? I think some of you are beaten up. They were a bit taken aback. <laughs> I said, so I think some of you in your spirits are on the verge of being burnt out. 
Some of you have become so isolated in your positions that you don't know who to go to for help. You're like the man at the side of the road who's been beaten up. And you're lying there feeling half dead, actually. So forgive me, but appearances can be deceptive a lot of the time. <laughs> you know? And, and this is life. This is real life. Because here's the thing. We're all addicts. We're all addicts. We've all got addictions. Personally, I'm addicted to my own opinion. <laughs> and I take some shifting from that. <laughs> and it's rife to, to be addicted to your own opinion, your own way of seeing things. It's an addiction just like anybody else and it takes some getting off it. And you twitch and sort of wriggle and when you sort of feel you've backed down because somebody else might be right. <laughs> and you kind of almost don't know what to do with yourself because you're, you're addicted to the way you see things. But the consequences of your addiction are that you're at the side of the road. You're not able to continue on the journey into all that God has got for you because you're writhing around because the life's being sucked out of you. Because, I mean, I make, I'm trying to make the point sort of kind of lightly, but it's not, actually. It's quite, I feel the spirit in this, that you need to be honest about the things that are gripping your life that are beating you up. And as a church, we, we need to be prepared to be ruthlessly um, honest and authentic with each other. Because the chances are, and here's the, ex, here's the amazing thing, that folk out there will soon tell you what's beating them up. Yeah. It won't be very long. They, they, they're not into standing on a ceremony and generally and presenting you know, a together image. They tell you life's crap and why it's crap and what's happening and what, you know, <laughs> who their support workers are who are trying to help them through whatever it is they're battling, you know. Just read the court reports, you know, in the local community if you're, if you're not aware of that. But as, as this man was lying there in his half-deadness, I'm not overplaying this. That's what it says in script. He was half dead. Robbed, stripped, and left half dead. Now, so, the religious people passed by. But this unlikely source of help appears on the scene. Now, you know, between the Jews and the Samaritans, as I say, there was not a lot of love lost, really. They, were the hated, they, did, they hated each other. But this Samaritan drew alongside this man. Now this man, he wasn't quite dead. So it's potentially he could have gone, Ooh, I'll be all right. Leave me alone. I don't like you. <laughs> it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice because of his half-deadness. He was willing to take help from wherever he could get it. And I think sometimes in our, well, dare I say, in our pride and in our ego, we, we don't know how to receive help. 
because we want to appear to be coping. We don't want to lose face. We don't want other people to know that we're struggling. So we wriggle and squirm and kind of say, no, I'll be all right, I'll get up in a minute. A few weeks ago, well, last autumn, actually, in October, my mum was, um, well, she was dying, actually. She died on the Tuesday. And on the Sunday, I was on the coffee rotor at church. And um, I was looking at my watch and bustling around, you know how it is, thinking, well, I'll be able to stay for very long after church this morning because I've got to get in my car and drive up to Birmingham from Worcester, where we live. And this lovely elderly lady came up to me as I was bustling around, washing up, and, you know, because I want to leave it absolutely perfect, you know, all the surface clean and all, all the cups back in the cupboard with the handles pointing the right way and because I want people to think, oh, Paul Wilcox was on duty this week. He's, look, look how he's left it. Isn't it wonderful? Oh. Anyway, so there I am, bustling around, like I, the expression that comes to mind is to do with a blue fly that my dad used to use. But anyway, I'm, I'm bustling around, trying to kind of leave everything perfect. And this elderly lady comes up and says, would you like a hand, Paul? Guess what my response was? No, I'm all right, thank you. She said, oh, okay, all right. Oh, honestly, I drove away from church thinking, what, what was going on there? <laughs> Here I am, I could desperately do with a hand. And this elderly lady comes up and offers to help me, and I say, no, thank you, I'm all right. How sad is that? How sad is that that I couldn't find it within myself to say, oh, yes, please, I'd really appreciate it. I need to leave fairly promptly this morning, and another pair of hands would be great. But I didn't do that. This is only a few weeks ago. You probably don't have to listen to anything else I say now, do you, because of that? Um, <laughs> but basically, I was too proud. I mean, that's a little thing. But there are other things as well sometimes I feel crop up in our lives. And, and regardless of how half dead we feel, our initial reaction is to say, no, I'm all right, thank you, I can manage. You know. Sad, isn't it? Because, here's why it's so sad. In this parable, we have an illustration of how God works. We have the principles of the kingdom modelled in this parable. Because all of us, actually, are at the side of the road. Until Jesus gets off his high horse from heaven by his spirit and draws alongside us and meets us in our brokenness and half-deadness. Doesn't that just blow your mind? That Jesus Christ himself is the good Samaritan, actually. For all of us and will be for all of us. And he draws alongside us and he tends our wounds... And he takes us off to a place of restoration. Now, in the Good Samaritan story, it was a local inn where the man is hoisted onto his donkey or his horse or whatever it is, and he's taken by this Samaritan to this place for healing. The Samaritan has great hope and trust, doesn't he, in that moment, that there's a future for this guy. He might be half dead, but he's not dead. You know, you might feel half dead, but you're not dead. 
you might feel that the life has been sucked out of you, but there's still a glimmer of hope. And the answer is in Jesus. That's my point. <laughs> You're pleased about that, Ellen? The answer is in Jesus, yes. So the answer is in Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's Jesus I need to meet me as I lie at the side of the road. Because the wonderful illustration we have of the kingdom of God in that story is that sentence that, that Samaritan says to the innkeeper where he says, and if it's cost any more, I'll pay the rest on my way back. There is always more than enough with God. There is always more than enough spiritual resource in the kingdom. Our Heavenly Father is not checking his pockets and thinking, well, I'm sure I've got a bit of change somewhere. You know, He's got plenty to meet our need. And we are called on to take the step of faith and trust that believes that. Are you following me here? So as we, as we consider that parable this morning, and as we, um, well, as we allow the whole of this morning's gathering, actually, to really, oh gosh, feed our souls, you know, just hearing Edna's testimony and hearing what's going on with Joel and the, the project they're involved in and just chatting to people yesterday. There's so much energy here, so much passion for the kingdom. It's wonderful. But let's be the kind of people also who are not afraid to let our guards down and say, I'm struggling today. I'm struggling this morning. I'm struggling this week. I I met with someone the other day and I'm still processing the conversation I had with him over lunch in a pub in Worcester. And I'm, I'm praying for his marriage. He's got three beautiful daughters and... It feels like the marriage is at the side of the road. It feels like the marriage has had the life sucked out of it. And um, and it may be, it may be that that marriage is over. And in which case it needs to be given a decent burial. It may be. But there may still be life there. And we may need to call on the resources of God to bring healing and restoration And we will fight for it. We will fight that that might be the case. But that's just one example of, he wouldn't broadcast that, and you've no idea of knowing who he is. And um, but he, he, I was the only other person he's spoken to about it. That's a privileged position to be in, when someone shares at that level of their life. I mean, again, you wouldn't think anything was wrong to look at him. But there are, there are big issues and it's about working out what kind of support they might be open to receive. What would it look like? And it might be an unlikely source of support that comes in to help that marriage. It might be professional counselling. It might be, who knows what it might be. The church might not actually be the place which is the main route for help into that might be external expertise that needs to be brought in if it's not available. But this is life. This is the beauty and richness of life with God, isn't it? 
that there isn't anything that any of us in this room this morning might face. Whether it be low-level anxiety or whether it be we're we're, uh, facing an operation uh, or whether, you know, um, we have a disease which is terminal or um, you maybe have family members and neighbours who maybe you know that's the case for them. The call to the church is to is to share whatever we've got and to be Jesus in that place. Because, and I'll close with this, because, and I'm not quite sure how this works, but it's just amazing that, that we find Jesus in the brokenness and in the messed upness. He's right there in the middle of it. And we go, wow, thanks be to God. So bless you. It's great to be with you. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. And many thanks... Bill and Alan for their hospitality and um, beautiful welcome. It's just a joy to be with you always. Thank you so much.